Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in today. I am delighted to have uh, Francesca today on the PLG Confessions. Uh, for those who don't know her, uh, time to, to look her up. She's an awesome uh, PLG expert with a ton of experience um, working on the marketing side uh, at MongoDB for close to, to seven years at a time that was like very pivotal in, in Mongo's history and has been with Sneak for almost three years. Uh, also an incredible time um, at Sneak with like a stellar stellar growth there. Um, she's also an advisor uh, with OpenView, so deep in the PLG space. Um, and I think I, uh, whenever I run into a company that is selling to developers, I think of Francesca, because I think she's one of the most knowledgeable um, people uh, when it comes to PLG for beta dev. Um, she also, I just learned, is a share fan. Um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll be able to dig into that at some point. But yeah, Francesca, thanks a ton for being on the show today. We're excited to have you. Thank you, Francis. I'm so excited to be here and talk to you again. Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, we we did an event together uh, just under a week ago where we were talking about cannibalization in, in PLG and especially in, uh, in product-led sales. And one of the things that really struck me and that I, I want to start with today is that PLG means a little bit of everything to everyone out there. So why don't we kick off with you giving us your definition of what PLG means and potentially adding in there a little bit of what PLG actually isn't. Oh, such a good question, Francis. And um, this is something that I I think is so interesting because indeed everyone has their own definition and um, folks who are new to it think, you know, PLG means like, oh, you have a free sign up for your product. Um, but I love OpenView's definition, um, which is that, you know, it's it's a product journey that's focused on the end user and um, it takes the best parts of uh, consumer applications um, and the strategies that engage people in those viral habits and um, allow uh, allows it to be modeled for the enterprise tooling that we use every day, um, which is why the canonical example is Slack, <laughs> because uh, you know Slack is such a such a pleasant, at least I believe still today, that it's a really pleasant tool to use for um, interwork communication. And um, a lot of the design elements of it and a lot of the ways that the team tracked against it are the core, um, still still occupy the core tenets of product-led growth. So for example, you know, virality and connection and then uh, identifying like activation metrics and habit building moments. Um, so that's what product-led growth is, means to me. Um, what is not product-led growth? <laughs> it is it is not just having a free sign-up for a product because um, just having a free sign-up for a product just means you have a free product, which is excellent and I think can work for a lot of businesses. But if it's not done intentionally with the idea of pleasing the end user and tracking um, the product telemetry towards like specific goals, then you could actually end up wasting a lot of compute <laughs> and um, for it and not get a lot of benefits of you know exposing your user to the value of your product before they have a chance to make a buying decision. Um, and another thing that product like growth is not, which um, Francis heard me talk about a little bit ago, <laughs> is that uh, having a self-serve or e-commerce product doesn't um, mean that your product like growth, like one doesn't preclude the other. 
Um, but a product-led growth approach certainly helps in facilitating um, faster time to value, faster time to monetization, et cetera, when you're coming across um, e-commerce SaaS solutions. Yeah, I think the, that final distinction is really important because we are at a time where there's like a macro context that's really difficult. And so I think PLG is becoming one of the big, you know, new acronyms that's being thrown around at every single board meeting, because like usually this is one of the things that we talked about in our last podcast, right? Like a lot of VCs are looking for the CAC of uh, product led and the LTV of enterprise. And it almost feels like a magic formula of just like slapping on some PLG to be able to say, oh, look, like now we're going to have massive results. And very frequently, I feel like people that don't, that aren't necessarily well-versed in PLG seem to confuse PLG with the self-serve experience and really just saying, oh, if we just open up the product to, to people, then they're going to be able to swipe the credit card. And now we have, um, we have product-led growth. So, so I, I guess for, from your perspective, like what, what maybe is missing there? Like, how would you challenge someone who's saying, oh, wait, but like we have a product, like, could we just have a free trial version of it and people pay at the end? And that's like a way to start product led growth or what would you say is missing there in that strategy? Yeah, I, I think that's a very good question. The, the thing, and, and I talk to companies often who are going through this and more and more recently, people have been, you know, executives and product leaders have been coming to me saying, you know, like, we really want to invest in this. And the question I always ask is, okay, well, why do you, why do you need a self-serve product? What is the real benefit? Uh, and I think for a lot of companies, like they, they do know that it's the benefit is really reducing CAC and getting after a larger market of customers um, who don't want to go through the sales process or who are isolated by a sales process because in a lot of organizations, like there's an, uh, there's a floor to the deal size that you can close, um, where you can, um, retire quota. And so that means that a lot of companies who want to buy products are, are completely axed out of buying your product and have to go with free solutions or different solutions that might not be fit for their needs or, um, so I think in those cases, it's a really good decision to go after that uh, solution. Um, but if you want to do product-led growth, like you have to have an end goal in mind of what you want to achieve from it. Um, and I think in a lot of companies, one thing they don't think about is their existing customers and adoption. And so in in with tools like Sneak, like Sneak is one of the tools that you bring in as a change agent. So for those that don't know, it's a cybersecurity product um, focused on helping developers integrate security into their workflows. Um, when developers are building, um, they're constantly deploying code um, at faster and faster and faster rates, and um, there's pressure to release it quickly. And when security isn't set up um, in those pipelines uh, for delivery, then you can end up with pretty disastrous consequences, um, open vulnerabilities in your code base. And um, obviously there's been a, a number of high profile incidents of that um, where you know hostile actors, nation state actors, et cetera, have, have taken advantage of that. Um, and so when, um, when Sneak is, and, and, and you know, it's not the 
cause of security professionals. It's, it's simply because there are not enough security professionals to handle the massive developers. So integrating sneak into the development process is part of it, um, of fixing that problem um, and ushering towards a safer world. But um, adoption of our product is critical to making sure that it works. And so we are constantly thinking about in product-led growth, like how do we make it easier for new developers to onboard to the platform, understand the value and want to use this tool because it helps with enterprise retention and also helps create a safer world and protect the customers of all of our customers uh, from uh, you know protecting their data. So I think that's another element of product-led growth that a lot of um, companies aren't necessarily thinking about. Um, it's really understanding your user experience and understanding what motivates folks to, um, you know, want to complete core actions. What motivates them? Uh, like, what are the habit-building parts of uh, your product? And I, I often think that companies should really be starting there before they they think about opening up a whole new space that they might not know a lot about. Um, and trying to learn from your initial customer base first. Yeah, I think what, what's really difficult with PLG is that there isn't necessarily um, something similar that already exists that we can say, oh, it's like this, but for that, right? It's not like the Uber for cats or the whatever, like Pandora for kittens. It's there, there isn't really something. And I, I feel like that's one of the challenges. We try to think of like, oh, PLG is like similar to inbound, right? Like we used to do inbound, put content out, people download it, they go into the funnel, you sell to them, great. And we're like, oh, PLG, same thing. Slap in, you know, like free trial, freemium model. People come in and then we deploy salespeople and everybody's happy. When it's actually a lot more complicated than that, it's a more transversal strategy of how do we acquire people? How do we get adoption? How do we expand adoption? How do we retain? And it is something that because of that, it's it's much longer to you know, to drive that change within organizations. I think that's something that we were briefly talking about. And I, I believe, you know, this is one of the core things that you recommend people is like, be patient, like rolling out PLG is going to take a lot of time. Um, and it's not the kind of time like in, uh, you know, content, we're saying like content takes time because you're going to put content. It takes time before you have that kind of flywheel effect and like content starts picking up and SEO and all that kind of goodness. It's also product led is a big transformation, almost the same way that, you know, for, more mature companies, let's say it that way, the digital transformation was a huge initiative to just like completely shift the way companies were working. There's a similar kind of shift with PLG. And, and I'm curious, like how, again, like when people are, you know, throwing this out at the, the board meeting, what kind of time frame would you recommend, you know, if the CMO is kind of like tasked with this or like a head of growth, like what's the right kind of time frame to set um, for you know, to set expectations for with the rest of the organization. That's such a good question, Francis. I I think it's it's really about like what are we looking to achieve, right? Like, um, I, I think there's so many different ways you can position this. Like, um, if it if it's let's build a product led, let's build the channel for user acquisition so that we can build a lead funnel. Um, I think that's like a a com that's that's complex because when you break it down, it's like you have to not just make the product available in 
all the regions that you want to be able to service those customers. So it can't be like a single tenant. So there's some architectural decisions you have to consider. Um, we have to we have to make that available for everyone. We also need to think about like um, how we're going to uh, go to market that way and like all the funding that we're going to dedicate to acquiring those users. We have to make sure that um, we have enough support staff to support the influx of new free users. Like there's all of these elements that you need to figure out. Um, and then we have to, you know, then we have to build it. Um, and then you also have to figure out how do we then uh, score the users for follow-ups for whatever their next step should be? Like, how do we segment them? Um, and, you know, at Sneak, we use Mad Kudu to help us identify like sales ready leads versus non-sales ready leads. And, um, but there's also a, a number of other things that we have running in the background um, that are constantly giving us insight into what our users are doing. And it's helping us evolve our frameworks for understanding their success. Um, that in and of itself, doing that took a year and a half um, at Sneak. You know, building out the, it, when I got to Sneak, we had a free product, which was great and actually had really strong um, time to value. Um, but we had to diversify our acquisition funnel. We had to create new frameworks around how we um, how we define customers achieving their value goal, um, which is what many people call activation. And I'll, I'll keep referring to activation here. Um, we had to build a whole, you know, we had to redefine our PQL model by introducing Mad Kudu. Um, and then we had to continue to refine from there and figure out what channels are bringing in the right types of users, things like that. So, so that took about a year and a half to like usher in that. Um, and we already had a free product out there. It was all about optimizing the processes and getting everyone on the same page. Um, so I think if you're, if you're thinking for something more ambitious around like, let's build a free product, launch it, make it possible to buy online and make it be like a really strong force in, um, in our in building a dual monetization channel i think you're thinking like oh with a really really strong team that knows what they're doing and can run ahead and doesn't have any roadblocks and has the entire organization behind them like a year and a half two years is like exciting definitely possible but i think it's more of like a three-year runway for most i like how how hard it was for you to say two years it's like <laughs> Even saying it out loud seems crazy in our kind of world where of like TikTok and everything. It's like, I want it now. I want it yesterday. Like, why can't it be faster? I know. Um, but we, we actually had um, uh, Krishan, who's the VP product at Apollo on the show uh, like a month ago or so. And he shared, uh, so they didn't have a uh, free product. So they were mainly sales led and they, he kind of led, um, as like the growth person who's doing marketing sales and like product to some extent, building out a free product and launching it out. And he was saying it took them six months to get the first people inside the free product, another six months to start getting some minor revenue. And now they're at a point like a couple of years later where, you know, uh, the, um, kind of so the PLG motion is now the core contributor to, to pipeline, but it definitely took, it's like a multi-year project. It's not a multi-quarter. Well, that's really project. exciting. I, I also think one thing that's really important there is you, you, you know, I was talking about Sneak and my past is in developer tooling companies. Um, developers are like the ideal prosumers. They're constantly trying new software. They constantly have problems. Like I think there's still a lot of um, 
uh, specialization that can exist in the entire IT workflow. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity to build new products there that that help solve problems and abstract away issues. So that's a great market to go with product-led growth for, for that reason um, and servicing those developers who are used to using like open source tools and trying them on their own. Like it's a very similar motion. Um, at the same time, I would say that not every company's product is aligned to the product-led growth approach. Um, and primarily it's because like, people don't have attention spans anymore. Um, I used to tell people like the first five minutes of your product experience have to be amazing, but now I think it's like the first two minutes. Like you have to really get people in the door um, because consumer products are so cued into our wants and needs and can give us immediate value. And enterprise products have to do a lot of work to get us that value quickly, primarily because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of hoops to jump through in order to make an enterprise product like actually work. Like in the case of like a mad kudu, it's a lot of stuff to set up in order to make sure that the models are ready to go. And like, it's, it's a big time investment. Uh, so if you're going to go with product led growth, like you need to think about like what element of our product is aligned to this motion that can help people see the value really quickly. Um, Francis, I read a great uh, article Half of it was good, half of it I thought wasn't great, but it was a great article about um, PLG and cybersecurity. And they talked about this problem exactly of like some cybersecurity products are not aligned to the product like growth approach because it's just too much needs to be done. Um, and also in cybersecurity, there's so much, you know, there's it's basically the whole zero trust world. And you have to be really uh, you have to understand your end user really well to understand what information are they willing to share with me to get started with my product experience on a free version and how can I make that easier for them uh, and show them the value really quickly without having to make them give up too much of their own like crown jewels, et cetera. Right. And I think that goes back to what you were saying of it's like, it's all about the end user experience. And I think, um, you know, as you said, not all tools are are necessarily ready for for product led uh, growth, and I think I mean actually I'm curious to hear your thoughts on sidecar products, right? So oh, I think I HubSpot is a perfectly example of that, right? Where HubSpot didn't necessarily have PLG for the longest time, but they had I'm trying to remember remember the name of it. They had this website where you could rate your your website. Yeah, anywhere. it was great because it you know like for it's hard to do product led and, you know, marketing automation platform. Not everyone is going to be comfortable taking their whole list of users. And like, I mean, basically all of their marketing um, content, just drop it into something and like build a couple workflows, send a couple of emails, and maybe it's going to have horrible delivery, whatever. And so they had that kind of sidecar product that got a lot of people to say, Oh, wow. Like this is giving me some like cute insights around how, you know, this is good, this isn't. And I think it built a lot of trust and it got people to think, okay, maybe HubSpot is the right tool for me. But kind of my opinion, curious to hear your thoughts on, on Sidecar products as an alternative to actually have to build a free version of your existing product. That's such a good question. I love Sidecar products. I think they're so fun um, <laughs> from uh, just a user perspective and a student of this discipline. The... Uh, and I, I think they can provide value and also 
even more so than the website scanner, because I think that was a great example of a way to get your end user into the um, your end user, like your ideal end user, like someone who's concerned about SEO for their website into your email marketing system um, and then market to them with content, uh, which is what HubSpot was really good at. So I think that's a great example of that one. I think for other products, like I, I, I would say today, like you would want to think about products that are maybe a little bit more tightly aligned to the end goal of your of your tool, because the HubSpot, like they do some of that, um, but more of what they're known for is like a marketing automation system. Um, and that's their core product. So I would say that now you want to even more tightly align to the end goal of your product. Um, because content marketing over email, I think is law of diminishing returns at this point. Like it's really hard to do it well. Um, it, it's way, it's, it's people just have overloaded inboxes, like subscribing to Substacks every other day and, and unsubscribing from vendor emails more rapidly. So I think that's that's something to consider if, if that's an approach you wanna take. Um, at Sneak, we actually have a few sidecar products that we've built. Um, and they, we use them primarily as SEO tools to drive our, our target audience to our products, introduce them to us as a product so that when they have a problem, and typically when they come to our site, they do have the problem, which is why they're going. Um, when they have the problem, they remember us. I talk to users fairly often and oftentimes they'll tell me, I had this problem. Like, why did you sign up for Sneak? Oh, I heard about you guys once. I like Googled something. And then I was I was looking for something to fix this thing. And then I saw the dog. We have a Doberman as our logo. Is that I saw the dog and then I remembered what you guys do. And I remembered that you guys have a good approach to this. So I decided to use it. So it's like that awareness driver is really powerful for us. And we also see a lot of direct and assisted conversions coming from those sites. So I think it's a I think it is can be a really powerful tool to build. Also, one of our one of our um, tools that we built for this it's called Code Checker. We we um, we it's a way to check your code for um, your proprietary code for vulnerabilities. Like, um, and it's uh, it take it's a take on the traditional static analysis uh, tool that uh, developers actually hate using because it's it's really awful. It takes forever and it's not aligned to the development process. Um, but we used the technology behind that and built an SDK for it in like a couple weeks. Like we had an engineering team that, that took some time off of their core projects and built this for us. It took them a couple weeks to build this. And we now have a, it's embedded into our site and um, it gives you a lot of value of the product without having to sign up. So like, I think that's a great example of like, if you wanna, if you wanna build some kind of sidecar product, it can be possible to take elements of your application and take pieces of that and expose it to the user earlier on. Um, and actually, if you don't mind, the story of this is actually amazing because this is exactly what I think great growth teams do. Um, so we had this idea to do this like code checker product like a year plus ago. And we pitched it to the team. The team was a little concerned because um, what it is, it's like a browser-based code editor and that exposes a lot of security risks. So they were a little hesitant to do, to make the investment. Um, 
So we decided, okay, we know that this is a conviction we have. We, we have the data that tells us that there's a huge search volumes for code checker in this, in different language communities. So we knew we could get the search volumes. So we said, let's just build one landing page and optimize it and launch it and, and use it as a gateway to sign up for the free product. And it quickly became the highest converting landing page that we had by far. <laughs> um, and so we were like, okay, this is a signal that this is working. And we presented it to the engineering team. We got it checked off and, you know, within a couple of weeks it was out and ready to go. And, you know, now it's a huge, huge driver of organic traffic and of conversions. Um, so it's like, you know, start with an idea, do the simplest thing you can do to test it out, pitch it to the team, show them the data, and then, um, and then, you know, launch and then see the results. Who'd have thought listening to their customers could help so much, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and you know, what's so cool is like, you can listen to your customers in so many ways you can, you know, SEO, um, or like Google search insights, a great way to listen to your prospects, like product telemetry, great way to listen to your prospects. Like there's so many ways to listen. Um, and, and I feel like one of the biggest things that introducing myself to product like growth has taught me is that like, it's so important to just listen to the end user in all the possible formats that you can. Yeah, especially when you have a group of users. I mean, that's the thing, like developers are incredibly vocal internally and externally. So it's there are so many communities where they're sharing kind of their thoughts and um, and, and what they think about that it, it makes sense. Um, which actually I think like will lead me to uh, another question that I had. So I've seen you put content out there. Uh, I think this is from your time at Mongo, but I, I believe it's still something that you deeply believe in where um, especially in the developer world, but I think more generally today, I feel like people are starting to have more and more distrust of um, like the, I don't know, like uh, amorph entities, right? Like the government companies and things like that. And so being able to rely on peers to create content and to, to do that almost like word of mouth at scale is becoming a huge thing. And I know that you were saying that um, using advocacy as, you know, the source of content strategy is something that has worked a lot. And yeah, I would love to, to hear your take a little bit on this. I think it does play into the PLG um, context. And yeah, curious to hear what your, your thoughts are and recommendations for people that are, um, you know, that have a solid user base and are looking to, to grow that. Yeah, uh, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of things there. So so to start off with, uh, yeah, I think community, like even when I look at new products today and like products that are great, like potential investments, I, I'm always thinking like, do they have a supercharged community? Do they have a community mindset? Because that is what powers growth and, and revenue in the long term, like having a really solid engaged community. Like you can look at any consumer brand out there. Like I think Peloton is probably one of the best, like as much as people might rag on their stock and their valuation right now. And um, if you're a Peloton user, like like I am, like you love it. It truly makes your day better. It is just like such an incredible, incredible product that they've built. And um, the community is super engaged. Like those folks are, are, are very gung-ho. <laughs> um, so I think that kind, that's the, that's the sort of like inspiration that I use is often um, 
I often would look at things like Strava and Lululemon, like all of these, like for some reason, athletics, for some reason, inspires a lot of excitement and camaraderie. Um, and I would always look to them for inspiration. Uh, but uh, I think it's become more common these days to use your community as the, as the, um, as, the, as you know, I speak to, to elevate them to speak on behalf of your product. And I think it, it adds to the authenticity and creates um, a deeper connection between your customer, you and your customers. And at MongoDB, I think the core growth strategy that we use, this was our core growth strategy. Like um, when I got there, like we ran a lot of events, like the, the first like couple, I think the second month I was there, we ran more events than there were days in the month, like all events all the time. And some people would say like, oh, events were your strategy strategy. And I was like, actually, it was more like using people in the community who were using our product in production as the spokespeople were the ways that we convinced people to try something that was really different from the database that they had used for years, you know, for 40 plus years. And uh, so, so seeing that and seeing the power of that really cemented my perspective that community and advocacy should be central to any marketing strategy. For, um, for companies today and how to build that in, uh, I think there's a couple of things. You, you asked about how to build that in and then how to use it in a product-led growth approach. So for product-led growth, I would say that, you know, you're thinking about viral, like product-led growth to me is also about like building loops and viral loops that when you input, you know, one widget in, it inputs like more than one widget out. Um, you're you're looking for like uh, big gains on any investment, and I think with things like advocacy, it's a little harder to measure that in the way that you would measure um, something like an SEO or something like that. But um, one of the powerful ways that you can connect the two is with um, invitations and referrals and, you know, in with in-company customer growth and making each product user an advocate of your product. And um, some of the ways to do that is by, you know, creating spaces where those product users can actually come together in community. Uh, so like, that's why Slack channels, Discord channels, et cetera, are, are so popular today. Um, and I'm actually a member of a few of those. Um, I've joined many, but the ones I stay a member of are the ones where it's like deeply relevant to me. And um, the founder of the company or like somebody at the company has a personal relationship with me and, and really invests in that. And I think that's something that can't scale. And that so that's why it's kind of hard to put it in the position of product like growth because you really cannot scale that. It's, it's, it's near impossible. Um, but I think those are some of the ways to get started in terms of like building that community. And then in terms of creating content, you know, I feel like the playbooks are out there and there's people that do it better than I do, but you know, it's like, it's, it's really digging in deep and talking to your customers all the time, like asking them to write blog posts for you. Like, you know, Francis, as you've asked me, like, come speak on my podcast, come join us in this webinar. I think you'd be a great uh, person to talk about this stuff. Like we're not even talking about, the product, but I've brought it up so many times because Mad Kudu has been so important for 
um, in my roles at two different companies in ushering through this product like growth motion. So um, obviously I'm going to bring it up and, and say great things about it. Uh, so I think that's that's a prime example. And um, I'm not going to pretend that I'm the expert on it, but I do think that it's something that every company can invest more in and we we can see a lot more great things from it. The other thing I would add is that we now have this really exciting creator economy that has been has has blown up. Um, I think it really started with like YouTube um, and YouTube was really the first people to like create the playbook for the creator economy. Um, but now it's gotten so, so wild um, on all of these different platforms. And so um, what what I've always wanted to do was figure out how to make that a part of our performance marketing strategy. And so uh, I started doing this at Mongo, but at Sneak, we've really like blown this out. But what we've done is we've built relationships with people in the ethical hacking community. And, um, and these are people who exploit vulnerabilities for the benefit of society. So they exploit the vulnerabilities and will let people know about it. Um, and on their YouTube channels, often what they do is they introduce, they use it as an education platform to introduce people to these vulnerabilities. And so we've built relationships with them and have contracts with them where we will pay them to create either pre-roll ads or um, do tutorials of how to use Sneak alongside their investigation. And uh, the best part about it is that everyone that we work with absolutely loves our product and Multiple of them have said, I've never thought of using Sneak before, but this has changed the whole way I work. Um, a few of them have introduced us to other uh, influencers and have helped us with marketing opportunities in other places. Like one of them has gotten us involved in many different types of uh, security tournaments and things like that. So the opportunity that that's opened up to us is amazing. The cost per lead and the cost per you know user acquired is is you know, so low compared to other channels. Um, and the best part is these people actually love working with us. It's not just a contract relationship. They actually really enjoy working with us. Um, so I think that's a way to take it, take a more performance marketing angle to the traditional like customer marketing playbook. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I have to say this, but there, there's something profoundly inspiring about how customer centric I feel people are in the beta dev space because developers smell BS from so far away <laughs> that if you're not genuine about trying to figure out what they, how they want to buy products, how they want to interact with them, you're not going to be successful. So I think but what you I have to, you have to think about, and I, I know I'm speaking, I'm preaching to the choir, Francis, but like um, you have to think about and for everyone listening, you have to think about the world that developers live in. Um, they, and, and also it professionals in general, they have so much responsibility over so much because the tools they build are incredibly powerful. If they do something wrong, use the wrong piece of software, it means their weekend is lost at the, you know, at the low end. And at the high end, it means that, you know, customer data is compromised by, you know, really, really um, nefarious actors. And um, I think that's something that needs to be recognized by anyone that's going into the space is like, there's a reason that they're so skeptical. It's because the repercussions of choosing the wrong tools and making the wrong decisions can be really severe. And so um, it's not to fear monger, but it's just to get your mindset into like, you want to give them as much information as possible and help them understand 
and see the value of something quickly because they have a lot of, you know, they rightfully have concerns about what they're doing and the tools that they build and, you know, making sure that they're putting things out into the world that are, are going to benefit people more often than not. Right. And I think that's where the, the, there's something to think about if you're not selling to developers of trying to build a parallel there of thinking, well, if we were selling to developers, like that, you know, focus on customer centricity, I think is, uh, is something again, that everyone should aspire to, to meet, like, that's the bar that we should all meet of think, okay, even if we're selling to CFOs, like, how do we think about selling to CFOs the same way that when we think about selling to developers, we know we yeah. can't be uh, doing any kind of BS and we have to find the channels and find the places where they are and figure out like, how do they think about testing new products? CFOs are interesting, right? Because I don't think there's like a CFO magazine or there isn't a stack overflow for, for CFOs. So there's a lot of like, they talk together and that's when and potentially, you know, running events is something that's going to be maybe more meaningful to um, drive awareness than trying to build a product. And you could do a sidecar product that's going to work for, you know, someone in uh, FinOps or something like that that will then bring it up to uh, to the CFO. But I think that what I love about all of this that we're very much talking about, like PLG is a strategy and that strategy starts with the customer because the customer has to be at the center of how we get their attention, how we think about making their life easier and helping them achieve the goal that they're they're going after. Um, I think that there's something also about like content that I, I find really interesting. Like to me, and I think for a lot of people in my generation, like we discovered Mongo through the the meme of like web scale. Oh, uh, like that man. video. Yeah. I feel like that video like got the world to discover or like to learn about MongoDB and then I remember like this is like a big thing in the communities of engineers, just like sharing this video. And at some point you look at it and you realize, oh, okay, like document, like database, like, and then it's MongoDB. You don't even think about the competition. So it's also interesting how to some extent that really spoke to the, that meme spoke to the language, uh, spoke the language, sorry, of developers. And it really spoke to them. Yeah. Um, and that was something that MongoDB did not create. That was created right. by someone who was mocking MongoDB. And it's, I still think it's like, it definitely was a huge, I, I agree with you. I think it was a really big driver of growth, awareness. And people were like, equated any non-SQL database with MongoDB immediately after that. Yeah. So I think you're spot on. <laughs> and it was funny. I mean, and people were so passionate, even like on YouTube that, I mean, I've never seen a, a, like engineers so opinionated on a, on a YouTube video and like firing at each other. Oh, you don't understand anything. I, anyway. I always tell people that if you want to get to the top of Hacker News, like write something scandalous about MongoDB, like yeah. <laughs> just like inspire some, some venom in people. It's really funny. I mean, yeah, which is a testament to the work you've done is like, you know, running the community there that people are so, you know, strongly passionate about a product that they use in their work life, right? This is the thing, like Peloton is something that helps you feel better as a person, like outside of work. It's awesome to see that we're able to get people, give people a sense of community for something that relates to their job, which, you know, isn't always something that people get passionate about. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's very cool. Um, so we're, we're running uh, against the clock, unfortunately, but I, I wanted to end with um, a quick fire round. So we're, we're going to try and keep the, the answers short here and we'll see if we want to deep dive into any with the, the short time we have left. But um, one of the questions that comes up pretty frequently in general, but I could, in the case of PLG might lead to different answers, but 
where do you see SDRs belonging in the org? Sales, marketing, growth, something else? Good question. I do think that SDRs in sales is a great positioning, primarily because SDRs more often than not, the successful ones will move into quota carrying roles. And, and I think it's important to keep them in the same org. Um, so I think that's a great alignment there. Um, however, there are a lot of models of um, self-serve and e-commerce SaaS businesses where they have specific SDRs that are aligned to growth that focus on different things and focus on um, rather than finding leads and finding opportunities, um, upselling self-serve customers, finding deals in self-serve customers, things like that. So I think there's different models um, depending on the problem, but at the core, I think it's good that it's in sales. Got it. Sales, but it depends. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Resting on the side. <laughs> yeah. um, in in the context of PLG, where LTV can sometimes be seen as, as lower, is paid dead? Mm. So I think paid is not dead. I think it's evolving. I think it's not the primary channel anymore. And I think you have to be good at organic, like driving organic traffic. You have to be good at finding other channels, like what I mentioned with our, you know, content creator strategy that we're engaging with. I think that's, those are channels that you need to find. You need to find alternatives and have diversification there. I always think it's good to have like a paid line item and in your acquisition, like I'm thinking of a bar chart, like you got to have that paid there because you are going to get higher intent. And you also want to make sure that you can compete with the incumbents. Uh, so I think it's it's definitely a strategy you have to think about. I also think there's a future, the end of third party cookies is is coming. So um, so that's going to that's going to have a strong impact on our ability to do digital marketing. Um, and there's, you know, we're going to have to make some changes and I'm excited to see what we do. Yeah. So far they've been just like pushing it out a couple of years, every, every couple of years. So I think yeah. everyone's freaking out about that, but, but, but everyone, everyone should be prepared. Like yeah. the best marketers I know out there, are like have, have perspectives on it. And I think I, I don't have a strong one, but I, it's coming. <laughs> so be prepared. Stay tuned. Um, cool. And then what is the, the right time to hire, um, a community manager or a community leader, uh, within an org? So I think this is for, so for dev companies, uh, I think that one of the first non-technical hires that you should make is a community manager. Um, primarily because as we talked about, community is so deeply ingrained in, in how developers adopt and learn about software. So I would say that that should probably be the first go-to-market hire. Um, oftentimes a, a technical community person, so like a developer evangelist and stuff like that. Um, but for for non-dev tools companies, I'm, I'm really not as familiar, so I don't want to give guidance on that. Um, so okay. I'm gonna pass on that one again. Dressing on the side, <laughs> but 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 really interesting. I mean, that's a big statement to say first non-technical hire when you're uh, a B to dev company. I think that's a uh, or first like first hire who's not just building product. Yeah, yeah. So first go to market uh, yeah. hire. That's that's. I mean, it's a pretty strong statement. Um, cool. And then the last 
uh, but most important question, uh, what is your favorite Nicolas Cage movie? So Face Off, definitely. <laughs> Love Travolta. that movie. But my favorite John Travolta movie is Pulp Fiction. So. Okay. I mean, of course. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Like how, yeah, like the dance scene, everything in that movie is great. Uh, Iconic. Iconic. Yeah. Even uh, but yeah, Face yeah. Off, like, oh, such a great movie. Who's who? I know. I heard they, they were talking about potentially doing a second one. So I'm no way. For that. Oh my gosh. You never know. Well, uh, Francesca, thanks a ton for, for joining us today and sharing all of that wisdom. If people want to, I don't know, like dig deeper into some of these topics, what's the best way uh, for them to do that? Ooh. Um contact you, read up. Oh, with me. You. I mean, you, you or anyone else, right? I think like OpenView might be like a place you recommend people to go because they have yeah. like some long form articles that are good, but maybe like I you found open places. View, OpenView is great. Uh, Lenny Rajitsky writes a really mm -hmm. good newsletter. <laughs> Everyone, every newsletter I read cites Lenny's tweets. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm sure you've heard of him. Um, he's a really cool guy. That's a bucket list podcast I'd like to be on. Um, and, uh, but yeah, OpenView does great stuff. And then um, uh, I would also say like, there's a few, like the the POCUS community is really great. Um, I've been in it for a really long time. There's a lot of people uh, doing product-led growth and product-led sales. So I would say that's a great community. And if you want to reach out to me, I'm on Twitter. My handle is Francium, like the element on the periodic table. And you can reach out to me there. Very cool. Well, thanks again for joining us today. And uh, yeah, we'll look forward to uh, the next one and to your podcast with uh, Francisca from Amplitude. Oh, um, yes. Can't wait. Awesome. Well, take care and we'll see you very soon. Bye.